This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello. And welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio, live from Orlando, Florida. And for those of you who didn't catch that because I didn't hit the record button on the personal recorder, hello and welcome to Line Dance Radio on Move Radio. Line Dance Podcast. Can you tell I just woke up from uh, a red eye, a nap, and we're heading into the evening? Can you tell? (laughs) This is Christopher Gonzalez coming at you with Megan Barsulia. Hello, Megan. Hi. You look lovely. (laughs) I feel lovely. I feel ready to dance tonight. And uh, we are going to be dancing tonight at the event known as Florida Line Dance Classic, a.k.a. Not Tampa. Last year, and in previous years, it was known as the Tampa Bay, I believe, Tampa or Tampa Line Dance Classic, something along those lines. That's coming up in just an hour or two. Uh, On the East Coast, it is currently 4 p.m., or for military time or whatever it is folks do in Europe, what would that be, like 16... Hundred sixteen o'clock. Sure, you're I, totally talking to the wrong person. Yeah, I don't understand those exotic cultural differences. Uh, but yeah, four o'clock. Uh, back home, that would be the normal time of one o'clock. Our day thus far has consisted of waking up. Uh, what time was it this morning? We we definitely ate before we napped. And we flew out at like 10.30 last night. We slept overnight in the plane. Frontier Airlines. Choice of champions. <laughs> choice of very frugal champions. Um, if you want a challenge. If you want a challenge, that would be the one to do. I'm very happy that you bought me the neck pillow at uh, a previous <laughs> event because those seats do not recline. Uh, you really have to make your own comfort <laughs> and bring your own fun. <laughs> I brought step sheets. That was fun. Um, also watched some Vivian 2 tutorial videos on my phone. And, uh, yeah, we landed at 3-something hour time, which was 6-something East Coast time. And, uh, yeah, we checked in, talked to Boy Kelly, Kelly Cavallero, I think is how I pronounced it in Vegas. And, uh, yeah, we had some food. Took some naps. I took a couple. I got up. I got up and went downstairs and got to hang out with Kelly. Well, actually, both Kelly Girl and Kelly Boy. Uh, Louie, JP. Uh, I got to say hi to Joe already. So um, I got pizza. That was nice. You lucky duck. I missed all the fun. Well, I'll just be that much more prepared for tonight with all of my rest. All right, today I have so many articles here. Got one about dancing cleanly and one events one about dancing with fluidity, one about dancing well when you're all alone, and one about dancing with control. So we will dive right in and just talk at you all until the battery on my laptop dies. Can you believe out of all the things I packed, I did not pack my laptop charger. So we get these four golden hours with my laptop. And then I guess we're going to have to interact with people and, like, dance and stuff. I guess that could be fun. We'll try that. All right. 
This article is from steezy.co. This is entitled, How to Be a Cleaner Dancer, by Evan Zhao. This is from June 26th, the day before my birthday, 2017. My Amazon wishlist is available online. Are you trying to be a cleaner dancer? We can help. While dance is a form of expression and not a military drill, being clean allows others to see and understand your movements better. And having a good understanding of your execution will help you feel freer and more expressive. Here are some tips that will help you be a cleaner dancer. Be a cleaner dancer by 1. Developing body awareness To be a clean dancer, you must develop a sense of awareness so that you are able to mimic the pictures of the choreographers or those around you. At any given time, you should know where each body part is placed, down to your fingertips. It's always a good idea to take a step back and notice what your body is doing in relation to what you want it to do. Are your toes pointing in or out? Fingers together or spread apart? Shoulders tensed or relaxed? Take a look in the mirror and try to match the choreographer or fine-tune what picture you want to make. Um, that's an excellent, like, I know it's such a clean topic for a cleaner dancer. Um, because it's true. It's when you're aware of how you're moving and how you're taking a step and where your arms are and your hands are, um, you can practice achieving the look essentially of the dance that, you know, you're connecting with or whatever. Uh, as well as one of the few things I do is I love watching different choreographers dance because I get a better idea of how they hear the music when they start playing and how they um, how they can change the dance, so to say, with their variations, but still keep it in that same framework. Um, I'll watch how they prep for turns and where they place their hands and how they interact with their whole body as opposed to just their feet. I definitely appreciate step sheets that take the ambiguity out of what you're supposed to be doing when there are hand movements. So even though it can seem like a pain as the choreographer to detail where your palm is facing, we actually encountered this just recently. We learned Do Your Thing by... Max Perry, I believe Kathy Hunyadi, and possibly the Amatos, maybe? Anyway, um, at the beginning, we've seen a couple of different videos uh, with different versions of what they do with their hands. There is one video where they have their palm, their right palm facing toward them, and the left palm facing forward, almost like the right hand is going to do the Pledge of Allegiance or something, and then they switch hands, and, and uh, now the right palm is forward, and the left palm is toward your chest, and then for counts three and four, when they switch back, they hold that position. We've also seen another video where both palms on both hands are facing down. So you have right palm down, left palm down, and the left palm is still straight out, and the right palm is in front of your chest. And then they switch. And then when they switch for three and four, they switch right to chest, left to chest, right to chest. 
instead of holding the position. So watching just the videos can be confusing. Like, which one of these are we supposed to be doing? I don't want to be the sore thumb that sticks out when everybody else is doing it as the choreographer intended. Well, in the step sheet, they have a little paragraph of explanation for some of these movements um, after each few counts. And they specify exactly what hands are doing when. So when they say here in this this uh, paragraph in the article, at any given time you should know where each body part is placed down to your fingertips. That's true. There are some dances where, you know, like if Madison is having you do the Simon, where you're sticking your arms up over your head and your fingers are extended or something like that, it feels way more Simon, like you're bursting at the seams with energy, than if it just says, you know, put your arms over your head somewhere and flop them around or something. You might look like a monkey or something, just like, whoop, you know, flipping your hands around, limp wrists and uh, no energy, just kind of going through the motions. I really like knowing all the little things that I should be doing, especially when they also reinforce your knowledge of foot positions. Very, very seldom do you see a step sheet say, like, prep for your turn with your right foot in fifth or something like that. That helps a lot because um, if, I mean, if we're talking about being a clean dancer, keeping your foot positions consistent and proper will uh, will help you look clean and move with uh, tighter intent. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of uh, things like foot positions, number two, knowing your basic angles. There are certain body angles and positions that will help you to memorize no k n o w that'll help you to memorize no because they are used often maybe maybe memorize what you know that might be it as you take more classes especially foundational styles and beginner classes hitting these angles will become second nature if you're newer to dancing then drill the basic angles into your body so that it won't be something you consciously have to pay attention to all the time here are more reasons, and there's a link here, why every dancer should take a beginner dance class. For example, 45 and 90 degree angles are always used, so get that into your system ASAP. This will let you focus on other details that make up the move. And come cleaning time, you won't have to be cleaned as often because you will already have a handle on the base of the moves. We get this a lot in line dance because whatever your angles were at the beginning, after you hit the second wall or, you know, uh, one one of the side walls, if it's a four-wall dance, you have to think in terms of what is this angle based on where I started, based on what 12 o'clock, that's one thing here, they say uh, 45 and 90 degrees, but we have to deal with clocks because the clock resets every time you start the sequence over. So we've seen the usual 12, 3, 6, and 9. Uh, over the last two years or so, uh, emerging from the bars, uh, we have also used... 130, 4.30, 7.30, and 10.30. And for little over-rotations, we also hear, like, your body will be facing 11 o'clock-ish, 8 o'clock-ish, things like that. So you know what angle it is based on your starting 12 o'clock wall. Yeah, as well as um, the angles... In which, uh, you know, if like you're prepping for a turn, how you want your body to be open um, to help you create like the torque versus if you're 
feet are right underneath you versus if you want to travel more and how to go about that, knowing the different uh, foot positions can definitely help with allowing to execute that kind of movement more safely, like so that you're not going to be, you know, using your knees to twist or something crazy like that. One little trick I like to use, and I used this when we demoed Electric Love at uh, Vegas Dance Explosion. If I'm going to do some weird three-quarter to my right, over-the-right-shoulder turn, but I'm not going to end actually at 9 o'clock, but at like 8.30 or some like odd diagonal, after having already turned over my shoulder where I can't see, I'll just kind of point with my left hand a little bit so that I know where I need to end up. We did this a lot with, um, or at least I did this, when we were learning NYC funk recently in a parking lot. And we didn't have a whole lot of like cleanly defined features to head toward when we were doing some of these turns. So I would just kind of signal myself, this is where I want to be after this turn, because it happens quickly. Some of these, you, know, you just have to like spin and pray. <laughs> All right, next up, using your muscles, number three. If your arms or any other body parts are floppy, then you're going to look messy. So use your muscles. You should think of them as brakes for your movement that'll let you freeze at a moment's notice. Tense up at the right moments to stick your pictures I've done exercises where I go through any pictures in a piece and flex my body at those points to try to develop muscle memory for each picture. The more developed your muscles are, the better you will be at controlling your movement. And then there's a link that will take us to an article we'll be covering in a little bit uh, that says here, Not sure how to practice? Use these tips. Want to dance with more control. Muscles. And this, this tip does not apply only to clap, 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 and power mix. You should look up those dances and see what I'm talking about. Um, I'm laughing just at the word usage on this one because I'm me. But uh, going to the idea of uh, using your muscles, there is something to be said about um, contracting your muscles at the right point and that will allow you to, say, execute a certain turn or have a little bit more precision in a step than if you were to just, like, flail around and jump around and do a whole bunch of turns in a row without having the proper, like, control of your stomach, um, abdomen muscles. And then that allow, allows to help keep you um, balanced um, you can definitely injure yourself or other people if you're not practicing movement with purpose, which also allows you to help like contract the muscle and when to flex versus when to use like just like the elongated stretched muscle and stuff like that. I know that for movements, I really need to stick like 
for example, hot tamales, when we do the grapevine to the left and I really need to plant that right foot so that I can start doing the foot slaps, I would otherwise just do a grapevine to the left and touch or something, and then my weight's on the wrong foot. So I will really feel that step and... Sometimes I'll like give if, if if I need to emphasize like in do your thing after the the was it the Joey walk or whatever it is forward five and six and seven and quarter turn step forward on the left eight I will give my left thigh a little tap just to say here's where the weight is going or here's where you need to land here's where you need to look and I'll just like they say you know take a little snapshot or like you know make a picture out of it and think how do I look right now so that I'll remember to look this way on every wall going into the next movements if I'm just kind of like hazily going through it and I don't really I'm not thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing and I don't pay attention I might end up doing something similar but wrong like can't walk away there's a part where we have a uh, coaster step and then as we're going forward, we're going to make a quarter turn to our right. And if I don't pay attention to whether I'm doing a coaster step, walk, walk, or a sailor cross or coaster cross at the end, I might go into the wrong one. This usually happens at the end. I need to remember to do this, the coaster cross, and I'll feel my body making that quarter turn to the right and feel those muscles activate as opposed to the ones that would be used in a just regular coaster step. And that leads my body into the big slide and touch, and then the quarter turn with the pop-pop. If I don't do that, and I'm just floating through, if I'm not paying attention, if I'm like looking at what's going on somewhere else in the room, I might go into the wrong part. Yeah. So yeah, definitely use your muscles. If you need little reminders of what you're doing on the floor, and also I find that there's so much you can do with the whole like less is more thing. There's so much you can do with subtle movements. I've been watching these, these videos of Masters in Lion and Paul McAdam recently. And he is, he's like Rachel and Roy in that he can take like a tiny little movement and because he's able to stay so still right before then, you see a little twitch in a way that somebody with less finesse, uh, like myself at the moment, uh, would just miss. Like, I could try to stop precisely, but if my muscles aren't toned or tuned to that stop, then I'll still be kind of moving a little bit. So when I try to do the punctuation afterwards, I'll still be kind of moving a little bit, and you won't even notice. So that can be another good place to use your muscles for some of these dances. Number four, defining your path of movement. To be a cleaner dancer, it's critical that you think about the pathway of the movements. When you look for directions on Google Maps, it'll show you different ways from getting from point A to point B. Yes, you'll get where you want to go in the end, but all these pathways look super different. So, when you're learning choreography and don't feel like you're doing it right, take a look at the path of your moves. I like to think of this more as like the shape of the dance. Um, I mean, it's essentially the same concept. It's the what is the overall picture going to look like so that I can follow 
that actual shape or outline, or in this case, the path, um, as well as that allows me, for instance, a diamond fall away. It's got a very particular look to it, and you can make it tight and small, or if you have more room, you can express more and really travel with it, and that can change the feel a little bit, but it still has the same path. Um, so it allows you to take a little bit more creative liberty on how you're expressing the dance, um, as well as it also helps when you understand. I know we've had several conversations about like learning um, a dance with a sequence that has an eight and one. So a lot of times it's easier to learn the eight and one and then can take a break and like repeat those counts. Uh, because if you go one through eight and you learn that and then you try to throw the and one in there, sometimes it's like you stopped in the middle of a thought, went away and then came back and tried to pick up at that exact moment. And sometimes that can be really, really challenging versus if you just complete the thought, then it's done. Yes, I've been having uh, an special, a, a, a special um, sticking point of challenge slash difficulty on Twist, Twist, Twist just recently for the part where you do the quick chase turn. I think it's a chase turn. And then uh, you go into the and one and touch and cross. I learned it from a step sheet that I think was, it was like WCDF, some kind of competition thing. And it made a very defined break between eight counts. And I went seven and eight. And then I started from the top and I did the first eight count and then I did the next eight count, seven and eight. And then when I started the and one, I just imprinted that I have to jump into it because, uh-oh, I'm forgetting that there's an and one here. So now I feel like every time I do it, because I haven't practiced it enough times with the eight and one, I'm rushing every time. So it can be helpful to get that right the first time and then just practice it right the first time. This is when it's helpful to support your local instructors and your local workshops because they are there to help you and they know what to look for. Like, is there an and one coming up? Should we add that on to our eight? I was recently reading some conversations on uh, on Facebook about how more classes are being canceled and things, and uh, there are just so many so many events and so many places to go on the weekend that uh, that people don't always make it out for their local class, and that's just a little plug for all the the little guys out there who are are really trying to bring some uh, some hands on dance to their local dancers. So yeah, path of movement, definitely diamond fallaways are a great example of that. Uh, I know that power mix can vary wildly in how I do it between when there's a packed floor and I have to keep it tight versus when it's a demo or something and I can just stretch my wings and fly. Number five, learning. To control your speed. Mastering timing will help your cleanliness like crazy. Being able to move slowly and take your time and being able to move crazy fast can only translate well if you're doing it cleanly. 
And if you can't do the moves properly at one-tenth of the speed, then there's no way you can do it right in tempo. So, start slow first. I like to take a piece and go through it a couple times really slowly so I can get the pictures right and understand how it feels in my body. Then I speed it up in increments until I can do it in tempo. This is especially helpful before you cast or do groups in class. If you want to take it a step further, then learn some popping animation fundamentals. Poppers have some of the craziest speed control. And then there's a little link here that I'm going to open in another tab. Learn to dance on top of the music. How to train your musicality as a dancer. The speed thing I have definitely heard from Cat regarding faking it when you move really quickly. If you try to just jump into it at full speed, you can fake your way through a lot of the steps because you can always blame your sloppiness on, oh, it's just so fast, you know, I just try to get through it and, you know, do whatever works. If that means cutting out the triple and making it a spin on one foot pencil turn or something, then, you know, that's what I have to do. But you don't. You can actually, you can slow down down the music with, like, a DJ app or something uh, that takes the original music and slows it down. Practice it slower then. Or you can just practice it slowly without music using only counts. Or you can do what they did back in the olden days and use teaching music, which is music that is of a similar style. So if you're doing a nightclub, you would just use a slower nightclub that doesn't have any tags or restarts. And if it's 20 beats per minute slower, then you just learn it to that. You don't do it to that permanently. And eventually, when you feel like you can really do the steps as they were intended by the choreographer, then you can try it with the faster music. This is if you don't have DJ... Uh, is it spelled just the letter D and then J-A-Y on the app store? Yeah, in the app store. Um, to, to slow down your music from your collection or on Spotify or however it is that you use uh, music on your mobile device. This also is good preparation when you know the basic steps cleanly and slowly. When Louie and JP decide they want to speed up the end of the dance because maybe they're doing John Robinson's Dangerous and the remix is like seven minutes long and they just want to get through the second half or they want to torture put- you with skiffle time. Or torture you with skiffle time. Yeah, if you know what you're doing at a slow speed, you'll know what you're doing at a faster speed. If you're faking it slow, it'll show when you speed up. Well, besides covering most of what I was already going to say, (laughs) um, there is definitely something to be said about uh, the faster and like being able to, you know, like you said, fudge the movements. Um, whereas like the slower drawn out steps of certain dances require you to actually know the steps and be able to execute them properly. Uh, a lot of times, you know, like most of the faster songs, uh, when you've taken a lesson from somebody, they will slow it down for you and let you practice it at the slower speed and gradually speed you up. I know that's one of the things you definitely have done on several different occasions when we're teaching at like Hot Monk 
or something like that, you'll start them off a little bit slower. Okay, this time a little bit faster. Okay, we'll hit all four walls and I'll gradually speed you up as we're going. Um, I know when I've taught at Stoney's, we've done the dance at a slower speed for like the first half to almost 75% of the dance until you can get them up to full speed when they really know it. And it allows people to think about the movements at first and get used to the idea of what follows what and where you're supposed to be. And then as it slowly increases, it's testing more of the muscle memory, which is also why sometimes it helps that if you're learning a 32 count dance, when you're 16 counts in practicing that 16 counts with music can also help because although you may not be slowing down the music, you're slowing down the teaching and the learning by practicing that over and over and over again so that that bit becomes second nature. Then you add on to it so that it becomes really, really easy. Um, I know for me, I tend to have trouble with the last say eight counts of a dance typically because of the fact that you've done the first 16 to 24 so many times because as you learn it you repeat over and over and over and then you take it from the top and do it all the way together and then you add on and then you do it over and over and over and then you take it from the top and add it on and so on so that the first half of the dance is really really comfortable for me and then towards the end by that time you're like no I really want to try it with music so you're almost like eager and not maybe put as many reps into the last couple eight counts as you possibly should as well as I've found when teaching it really does help to practice the transition into the new wall for a couple counts so whether it's you do two counts or four counts of the beginning of the dance to help that transition become a little bit more natural that's something else to kind of slow down the learning, but also keep it together. I'm wondering how many Rachel dances this will show up in, because I was just thinking about them right now, as you were mentioning the last eight counts. I was thinking how she really front-loaded the tricky stuff in Let Me Love You with Masters and Lion. I think it was a Masters and Lion dance. And then everything else is a lot easier. Having all the most difficult or complicated looking steps at the beginning, you have the most opportunities to practice, like you were saying. And then at the end, you don't have to think as much, which is good because you're not going to get as many reps. I noticed, I was just thinking, okay, so whip it also kind of does that where you roll to your hips to the right, hips to the left, and then turn... Like right, left, right, left, right, and then you start over again. And New York to L.A. has the step, half turn, paddle, paddle, or quarter, quarter. And I wonder how many other dances she's done that for. Also, Part D of Work From Home. They give you all that tricky stuff to do early on in D, in Part D. And then at the end, you have your walk around and then do what you feel or something like that. The end of... Um, was the the sh right left right left right so part C it's also you know you've just done all the complicated stuff in A and B so now you get a little bit of a break on part C 
interesting. It's definitely something for us to think about the next time we put together a dance. Get that tricky stuff out of the way early, and then they have more chances to practice it. Learning to control your speed. Yep, I guess that's about everything on that topic. Number six, training for solid footwork. When you're doing choreography or other hip-hop styles, you want to be really grounded in your movements so that you're not toppling over while you're dancing. You can't have a strong tree without strong roots, and your feet and legs are the ones anchoring you to the floor as you're dancing. If you're going to be wobbling while you're trying to move around, then it's likely you won't be able to do any of the other moves 100% correctly. Don't skip leg day, they say, and the same goes for dancing. Stay grounded and balanced to better execute your moves. Also an interesting link I may be reading later. Read about why staying light on your feet is actually bad advice. First thing that comes to mind here is the way that Darren Bailey dances everything. And also Fred. You see that there's a weight in their movements. And they are really pressed in to the ground with what they're doing. Actually, ditto for John when he when he's doing that kind of a dance. You always feel like he's in control wherever his feet are going. Yeah, and a lot of that is the idea of practicing the five different foot positions as well as um, moving moving with purpose was another one that we, we've recently discussed. Um, one of the best things I think... I could have ever done was taking a private lesson from John Robinson and Roy Verdonk that was so informative from both teachers, instructors, dancers, choreographers. I mean, they they know what they're doing and they know what they're doing for a reason. And it's because of all of the years of practice and knowledge and training that they have put into their own dancing and their instructing. Um, some of it is very interesting to know that a few things I already do and I just need to clean up a little bit. And some of it is things that are completely foreign to me that I now have to really focus on and think about. Um, when I was taking the private lesson from John he used the classic dance Dizzy, uh, which many people know, many people love. And now it's one of those dances where I, because he used that dance as a perfect example of how to place my feet and how my body should rotate and where I should be open versus maybe a little bit more squared off, um, I'm able to take that theory and have an actual application as I'm practicing so that when I dance other dances, it becomes more natural. Um, I'm very much the type of person who wants to know an, a way that I could apply the knowledge I had just received in a practicing training kind of sense as opposed to just, well, when you do this kind of turn you want to be like this. If I have one thing, one dance that I can practice it on, it kind of trickles into everything else as opposed to the general, you know, like triple turn or something like that, where it's like, 
how often am I going to remember it versus every time Dizzy comes on, I'm like acutely aware of how to apply these techniques. Um, And with Roy, I got a better understanding of moving and rotating with my hips and my core um, and have a little bit more sense of purpose with my movement. I know after taking a lesson from him, I'm going to back up. After taking one from John, I questioned if I knew how to dance at all. After taking a lesson from Roy, I questioned if I even knew how to walk correctly. There was so much knowledge that was so just crucial and invaluable that I was able to actually receive from him. And I'm so grateful I did it. If you are at an event, believe me when I say it's worth it. Speak to one of your favorite choreographers, regardless of why they might be your favorite choreographer and instructor, um, and see if they can't squeeze in a private lesson for you. It's so worth it. Yeah, definitely the moving with purpose stuck with me after taking the private from Roy. And I have found it's in those dances we think we know that we can do a lot of this work. When you're learning some 64-count two-wall madness, uh, you can get so caught up in, like, what's the next step? What's this combination? What wall am I facing? You aren't thinking about your feet or how upright you're standing or the lines of your arms or whether your right arm is just dead and hanging to the side. You can do this in something like Cupid Shuffle or Electric Slide where you do it so often or you've done it so many times you're not thinking about it anymore and you're just kind of like la 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 la. Well, if you want to stay re-engaged, think about how far am I putting my right foot to the right when they say to the right, to the right, to the right, to the right, to the left, 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 left. When I put my feet together, what position are they in? Am I preparing for another side movement or am I just collecting to the middle so I can go in any direction? Uh, when you're doing, say, a grapevine and electric slide, how far behind the one foot are you putting the other foot? Or are you just bringing them together so it's more of a side-together, side-touch? These are little questions you can ask in these less complex dances because there aren't really many other questions to ask. There's almost nothing to them. I've had many opportunities to do this since uh, – when would be the first time I was exposed to this? Maybe after your private with John and then definitely after Vegas doing the NTA workshops and the private with Roy. I've been thinking about this a lot in my Brookdale senior living class, doing a lot of absolute beginner dances. I've also been thinking about it a little bit since the last time we saw Rachel – and she mentioned like how you carry yourself when you're demoing a dance. And I've thought, okay, if I were demoing swinging thing, Joe's one wall dance, you know, walk forward, kick, walk back, touch, walk forward, kick, walk back, touch, sidestep together, sidestep together, three faster sidesteps to the left, clap, clap. Like if you were to demo that and make every wall, which is just the same wall over and over, look interesting or look like any of Joe's DVDs where she looks like she's having a blast 
doing like three basic steps in some other four wall dance over and over and over. Taking those beginner dances and making the most out of them, making them pop, making them look lively and fun and clean will help set up your foundation for doing that in Never Been to Spain or She Used to Be Mine. Something more complicated that has more kinds of steps but still uses the same principles and just builds on on those into you know, three-quarter turns and waltz rhythms and other things. This has been the article, How to Be a Cleaner Dancer, on blog.steezy.co, written by Evan Zhao, published on June 26, 2017. Also from steezy.co, written by Jesse Ma, we have the article that I mentioned earlier, Want to Dance with More Control? Read this. This was published October 19th, 2017. Do you want to dance with more control? Control in dancing means your body is doing what your mind wants it to. If you want to dance with more control, then keep reading. 1. Be aware of your... Stop! Bean points. If you want to dance with more control, then you have to understand where your movements stop. Let's say you have a coloring book. The outlines are the stopping points, a.k.a. where your movements should end. Knowing exactly where those outlines are ensures that your movements are extend- aren't extending beyond it, coloring outside the lines, or cutting it short, leaving an awkward gap. Hitting these pictures precisely makes you clean because you're understanding where to move your body. That's the first step of control. So, once you figure out where your stopping points are, and I'll just say the title of the next section, Two, know the pathway in between those points. So, be aware of your stopping points. Some of the things that came to mind with this one, uh, one of them would be like when you point to the side. Um, sometimes it's really nice to have that emphasis point. But to do that, you have to actually stop and point. As opposed to, you know, you kind of point and then you rush into the next movement. Um yeah, uh, holds is a huge thing. Like, there's a, a lot of reasons why choreographers will put holds in uh, the dances. Uh, one comes to mind, it's, I guess, technically a tag, is um, chase that dollar. There's, an, there's a point, for those who don't know, in which the music fades out for a few counts, and it's just silence. And so he has you literally emphasize the movement, stop and then go right back into it. And what that does is it really completes it and it allows you to have that build up and it's really, really satisfying to have that stop right there. And go ahead. I was just going to say, when you say he, who are you referring to? Dustin Betts, who I saw earlier today. That's right. (laughs) Um, And it's really, really satisfying to stop it's really, really satisfying to start over because it feels almost as if you have that build up and now you can essentially just explode and go for it and really just hit that those last several movements really hard. And it really adds an overall completeness to the dance for me. Um, whereas if, you know, the music stopped, 
the way it does because it literally stops. It doesn't just kind of fade. It stops. If you were to still kind of dance through that, it wouldn't be as satisfying. Um, So having the stopping points are certainly important as well as when you're switching weights, knowing that you need to stop movement in, in the sense of, for instance, switching directions, I'm sorry. Um, you know, great vining to the right, you have to stop your movement or momentum to the right if you wish to do anything forward, back, or to the left. Um, you have to stop that momentum somehow. So having the touches or the rocks or something like that also helps even though you might still be moving, you're stopping the momentum from continuing so that you can safely execute a new move as opposed to potentially twisting an ankle or, you know, ripping a tendon or something like that. So it is extremely important to know where the stopping points are. Yeah, a couple of recent examples I've noticed the stops in are Americano where you have the bounce, bounce. So you have the step, turn, walk, walk, and so on. And by holding completely, you can really feel the silence in between the notes where the punctuation of just a simple step forward is stronger. If you're just kind of strolling forward, that's, you know, you're not hitting the bow. And then what was the point of doing that step? Um, Also in twist, 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 when you do the twist, twist, flick, twist, twist, flick, twist, twist, flick. Again, you can just kind of throw that flicking foot behind you and start getting ready for the next step. But if you could just hold that flick for a second, it makes it a little more dramatic. Also in splish, splash, she uses that point, cross point, turn point, and point. That, that idea of the side touch or the point that uh, punctuates the instrument. And then um, Scooter, in her cover of, of uh, Splish Splash, you know, talks over the, the intervening period of time. It, it almost shows like you're paying more attention to what the lyricist or the, the vocalist is saying if you are really holding between those beats. And then giving more, what would you say, focus or respect or whatever you call it, you know, presentational performance, um, deference to the singer will feed back onto the dancer so that when the movement starts again, you can all like kind of party together. Whereas if you're just kind of doing what you feel like over the singer, then you're not really developing that sort of like abstract relationship you're just kind of doing what you want and then it's like the singer doesn't even matter like they're not even there but like respecting each other makes uh, the overall symbiosis between you look stronger also i remember as a kid that was something that my sister used to do almost like a little cheat where if you're just drawing your drawing and you know you're making let's say a purple snowman or something. You can just do a bunch of you know, circular motions with your colored pencil 
and then you have these three blobs, and that's fine. But she always used to do a hard outline in color of whatever she was drawing, and it would look so much neater just having the outline. And then it doesn't matter what you color in the, in the middle. Like, you don't pay as much attention to that. You just see the outline, and your brain kind of assumes that everything in the middle looks as it should. Whereas if you don't have the outline, you're really analyzing or focusing on all the scribbles in the middle. And those, if they're not you know, balanced or if they're not complete, uh, all the little imperfections stick out. Having the outline gives you a lot, uh, a lot more freedom in between. And I notice that's something Rachel does all the time, or, and Roy, uh, when they're playing with dances, they'll come back to some punctuated movement at the right time, but in between, they can color however they feel. You know, they just need to hit that one left point in Have Fun, Go Mad, and then they can do whatever they want for a little while. And then you know, if they want to rock step and then come back the other direction, they can travel back in the other direction doing you know, a moonwalk or a bunch of knee-slapping hitches or something. Uh, it's all about knowing where your limits are on each wall so that you can change direction and uh, yeah, fill in the gaps however you want. If you just fill in the gaps the whole time and don't pay any attention to your limits and don't know where your stopping points should be, then you're just freestyling. And then, you know, you can do that on the side. You're not really doing the line dance necessarily. Right. Number two, know your pathway in between those points. The actual movement between A and point B, point A and point B, is where your control really comes in. First, set the pathway. Like, is it a straight line? Is your hand going from your right shoulder to your knee, or your chest to your stomach? This is the question that I ask most often in class, because it's easy to see pictures that the choreographer is hitting, but harder to catch the movement in between. Once you know what that pathway is, you can refine the way you move through that pathway. If you... Title of the next one. Three, choose which muscles to use and when. So, number two, know your pathway in between those points. I know sometimes it helps on step sheets when they say, uh, you know, move your left hand from right shoulder in an arching movement to back to the left, stopping, you know, at the left shoulder or something like that. Um Having that detail definitely helps. However, sometimes it's also fun to figure out the pathway. Um, it adds a little bit more variation to it. Um, like, for instance, if you're actually doing a variation, discovering what works and what doesn't uh, can be tricky for sure. Uh, but I do know that like, I like when choreographers are detailed like that. Because then when I'm reading a step sheet, as opposed to taking the lesson from them, I'm able to understand what they're trying to tell me. Um, I know there's been several dances that will read the step sheet and be like, no, wait, what? And we'll look at a few videos to get the clarifying point. And of course, because of the fact that they weren't specific in their description originally, those three or four videos could look completely different. Like you were using the example of uh, do your thing earlier, how the hands could be in two different positions. And that one even says on the step sheet, the palms facing in. 
So even that can be different. Um, the pathway between stopping points as well can be the idea of transition steps. For instance, the, you know, like I was using the example of a grapevine to the right, and then the stopping point is the transition step. So if you did a rock recover, then your weight is now more of a center and you can move into a left grapevine or something like that or, you know, a shuffle forward or something to the extent of now you've changed directions and the pathway in between your directions is that transition step. I noticed that when they're talking about the, the hand movement, I think about uh, Smooth Criminal and... There is a little movement with your hand from left shoulder to right shoulder and down. And that can look really cool and really clean because all all your body is doing is standing there. Your hand is doing the shoulder, shoulder down. But if you're just kind of like going and you make like a little, little arc, little lame lowercase c across your belly button, then you're kind of going left, right down. But if you hit pop, pop, pop for like three specific points, then you won't lose what you had been doing with your feet very cleanly all the way up until then. Hands count too. I guess is a way of describing that. Yeah, knowing the pathway. That's kind of like what they were saying in uh, the NTA workshop, the difference between frame and carriage. Like carriage is what you're doing when you move and then frame is how you're standing when you're just kind of at attention. I guess you know if you have an opportunity, it's good to to think about both of those independently, and then maybe that would make it easier when you're putting them together to have that uh, that merge more cleanly. Mm-hmm. If you stop in your picture, as they're saying here, of all right, it's count five. I'm in this position. And now by count eight, I want to be in that position. What steps do I need to take to get from here to there and at what speed? Uh, yeah, it can, it can make it look kind of like, again, in Let Me Love You, when Rachel's doing that running around to the left thing, the mambo walk or run or whatever she describes it in uh, as in the step sheet. She looks like she knows exactly where she's going and where her feet are going while at the same time looking like a leaf on the wind. And there are things in the step sheet that tell you, you know, move a step a quarter right behind, turn a quarter right behind, and and it'll break down all the little things that you should be doing in between. But then just knowing generally the path between count five, one and two and three and four, or I guess one and four in, in that case um, – that can make it look more like a, a smooth run and not just a quarter step, quarter step, quarter step, bunch of pictures. It's like the difference between frames and a movie, like all the frames that make up the, the film reel. Number three, choose which muscles to use and when. Imagine your body is a marionette. Each body part is controlled by a specific string. When you dance, these strings are invisible controls that exist in your brain. Get used to what it feels like to move certain body parts. Try moving into any position as slowly 
as you possibly can. Put yourself in awkward positions. Daily. Be able to hold whatever position by getting your body used to it. And let your mind memorize exactly what it feels like. In general, this is roughly how I am able to remember dances, is how this movement into that movement felt. Especially, not only physically, but also maybe more of an emotional um, attachment along with the song as well. Uh, But what came to mind first was uh, over a year ago we had taken an isolation workshop from Guyton and Roy Hedda Sabrota and I remember them telling us you know like first move this like as in like the first digit or the first knuckle of your fingers now bend a little bit further now bend a little bit further now bend your wrist and as you reach as you bend your wrist start straightening out and you know like isolate each of the joints um and that's how you know they are able to achieve some of their tutting that they do so amazingly well um but with that it's also lots and lots of practice of remembering how it feels and practicing it over and over again until it becomes that second nature so that you know this is what this feels like. Um, another thing is, for instance, um, how you execute a turn versus how you execute a walk forward, um, which mu- muscles to flex and where and how um, can allow you to have a sharper turn and potentially even keep turning um, to execute a full turn as opposed to a quarter turn. You're going to use a different amount of torque and um, control to do one over the other. So it is important to realize how different things can feel differently. Um, Another thing to kind of consider is the whole choreography process. Um, I know you and I will be like, hey, um, try out this eight count. Tell me what, what you think and how what it feels like. Does it pull anywhere? Does Is there any muscles that, you know, like because you dance differently than I do, uh, that it pulls more on your right or your left? Or um, is it nice and easy to do this movement? Is it fluid? Uh, you know, how... Does this feel too fast at this mo at this speed, or just right, or even too slow? Um, that can definitely uh, change as well. Something that this reminded me of with uh, try moving into any position as slowly as you possibly can is when I was trying to choreograph something recently. I remember mentioning that the only way to make this one movement work is to kind of just drop the weight out of your left side and kind of fall into a clockwise turn over your right shoulder. And then I remember thinking, that feels fine for me because I'm used to it, but I can't really describe that to somebody slowly or tell them what they're supposed to be doing when they're shifting their weight. Because if they're standing upright and they're like, just turning over their right shoulder and then shift the weight to the left and doing all those proper things, you wouldn't have enough momentum to get around in time. 
So since I would have had to fake it and just kind of say, okay, just just drop the weight out, but don't worry about how to land this other thing because it'll just lead into this other thing. If I couldn't do it slowly and I couldn't instruct people count by count how to do it, it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have ended well for anyone. I think somebody would have gotten hurt. So I ended up not using that. But um, that's when you really just can't fake it. Like you have to look at every count as though it matters. Uh, being able to hold whatever position by getting your body used to it. That can come in handy when something goes wrong with the music. And this has happened before. Where maybe somebody accidentally, like they're visiting the DJ booth and they hit space bar or something and it pauses and a lot of people are still going if you're really alert and present and you're not just like barreling on uh, you can stop right where you are and then when the music comes back on continue from that point uh, it doesn't happen often but it can be useful to know when your mo- your momentum or inertia are just carrying you into the next thing and you're not really in control of when you stop and in what position. Also, for big finishes, it's good to be able to just hold and know what you're using to do that big finish hold. Also, I remember there was a an exercise we did in theater for walking. Like, walk with your feet leading now walk with your chest leading now walk with your chin leading and walk with your forehead leading and see how those feel different walk with your ears leading like everything you can think of make that the intention behind your walk like what would that look like if you were trying to walk from your belly button or your belly button hairs how would those subtly change your movements that can be used for this for choose which muscles to use and when when you're deciding what should I be emphasizing here. I was working on this heel to toe movement of walk for, you know, when I was doing a West Coast dance, but now I'm doing this other style of dance. What should I be using instead to connect my feet to the ground? Which other part of my foot should I engage? Some of that comes from the Roy Verdonk one on one. Number four, play with power. Being able to dance with more control also includes your power. Make sure that you're not over or under exerting energy. Going back to the coloring book metaphor, this is how hard you're pressing down on the paper with your crayon. You don't want to bleed through the sheet, overexert, nor do you want to be too light, underexert. You want to match the right level of power according to the music i guess this is this is where you start looking at a step versus a stomp versus a press you can certainly stomp your way through a dance as well as walk your way through a dance um that's where depending on what the dance is trying to express is going to vary. Obviously, something like, she used to be mine, you wouldn't want to be stomping in. Um, Versus some of those faster, say like four on the floor or something like that, 
you could definitely add in a little bit more of that movement. Um, I personally am not a huge fan of stomping. I feel like you can make just as much of an emphasis and feel the same, if not better, um, when you have a more controlled and contracted step as opposed to just, you know, trying to drive your foot through the floor. Um, I was never a fan of breaking my crayons, just so anybody knew. <laughs> um, but that also allows you to uh, choose where you emphasize certain things as well. Um, yeah, that's all my brain can come up with at the moment. I actually really like this coloring book metaphor because it also reminds me of those cheap crayons that you would get that stick that are just like wax and you can't really get like a glide of color. You just get these spots versus other like Crayola crayons, like the real pro quality stuff. Like you get a nice even gradient or balance of of color depending how hard you're pressing like it's like the crayon nose whereas other ones you have to jam it into the paper to get anything out of it and that can definitely be the difference between a nice ballroom floor that's smooth and doesn't have panels coming up and a sticky bar floor where you just kind of get what you get and say thank you (laughs) yeah play with power that's something i've been working on more recently, I, I look at videos of previous years of dancing that I've done, and I see a lot of throwing myself around <laughs> and hoping the ground will catch me. And that's how I would feel a dance. I would feel the muscular contraction when I'm changing directions or landing from a great height or stomping because I used to wear boots for dancing. Um, and that's when I would feel the dance. That's that, That's when the dance would like force itself into my different muscle groups. Now that I know how to isolate a little more and contract different muscles, like core muscles as opposed to my extremities, I'm really working on feeling the dance with the finer movements. That's one of the things that has been definitely more boring for me as a partner dancer when I've attempted to do like swing and two-step if my legs are barely moving in this tiny little controlled radius where I'm trying not to knock the partner over I it's like I don't even feel my legs it's like they're not even there and then I'm just like puttering around and it's no fun I like the occasional dance or if you go back say four years I like every dance uh to be one where my legs are ha and then turn 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 ha and now i'm trying to figure out how to like get that ha more distributed across my body and to still be felt in my legs with the smaller tighter movements like in a tango or something one of the ones that we were looking at recently was ghost of you the ghost of you by roy verdonk and sebastian holland and i think it's I think it's Holtland or Holland. I forget. I'm like trying to picture his name now. Uh, also Lipstick Tango by Michelle Burton. And keeping those movements controlled and sexy and well-timed can be 
as challenging and engaging as just kind of bouncing around and trying to hit everything like skiffle time or something. Power. Number five. Oh, actually, there's a little added line underneath this picture for the power one. As you become more fluent with your power levels, even the most simple movements in choreography will start to look more polished and refined. Ultimately, this is how you showcase the musicality. Learn how to manage your power here, how to dance bigger, stronger, and more full out. Opening that in another tab for sure. Number five, increase your flexibility. If you increase your range of motion, then you'll have the agility to move how you want without so much physical strain. And then there's another sidebar here. Before you start dancing, do a light stretch slash warm up. Light slash. Do a light stretch. No, they put the slash in the wrong place. If you're not sure how to do that, follow this quick warm-up slash stretch routine. For example, if you can do the splits, kicking high is not so much of a physical challenge. You won't be shaking or straining. You have more control over how high or low you want that kick to go. Stretch regularly and warm your muscles up before dancing in order to become more flexible. This video, which people on the podcast cannot see, will show you how to and how not to stretch. Looking forward to seeing that later. Number six. We're not going to do number six yet because we haven't talked about number five. Increase your flexibility. <laughs> so I like how the before you start dancing, do a light stretch warm up is in bold print. And I am still very guilty of this. And you would think that my most recent injury would have told me otherwise. Um, it is very important to warm up your muscles as opposed to just rush out to the floor because you get really, really excited about a dance. Um, I there was one dance. Oh, Razor Sharp. Razor, I love that dance. It's so cute and it's fun to do. But it actually, if I don't stretch before that dance, my mus my calf muscles almost hurt afterwards because of whatever reason I don't know if it's just the movement or how I'm stepping but when I stretch more I'm able to actually do that dance without having any complications um, so that's certainly one that I, I remember to stretch before I go and review um, and that is important because it loosens the muscles and it allows you to safely and properly execute movements um, because you're able to have that range of motion when your muscles are warmed up as opposed to just being, you know, cold and, you know, when you wake up in the morning or whatever, you know, most of the time people will stretch as they're waking up. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because your body's been cold and not moving for quite some time. So now you're waking up and stretching and getting the blood pumping and flowing through and oxygen to the right muscles. And that is extremely important to avoid injury. Yes. I have never had the most flexible hamstrings. And this goes back to even when I was, when I, when I did dance as a kid, like a real little kid, like three to 10, um, when I did Taekwondo until my senior year of high school and then you know stopped when I went to college, there was something about my hamstrings that just wouldn't budge. And I, I wasn't like as diligent as some people where they'll do like splits across a couple of folding chairs or something like that. 
But I still like to do occasional high kicks. Like in God Bless Texas, I remember, depending on which version you're doing, you can do like just a bunch of hitches and things. But I like to do a big kick at the end of that. Or Fat Sally Lee. Instead of just, uh, you know, kicking at shin height, I would do those high kicks to like head height. And it's the sort of thing that you can do on occasion. And you can do it if you're very loose. But I don't really push it anymore. Because <laughs> uh, you can feel it for a couple dances afterward. If you weren't ready for it, but you really want to do it, you just do it. And then later on, you're like holding that hamstring. Yeah. Somebody who's really good with this is Guillaume. Guillaume Richard. Um, he just moves so pretty and you can see like almost like this ballerina flexibility in his whole body. And that looks like this, the sort of thing that he's really paid special attention to, to have more possibilities. It's like, I've heard that when you get older, it's harder to lift your arms above shoulder height like you can't really raise them over your head as much anymore and i think about how many dances have you raise your arms over your head and it makes me really hope i stay on this for a long time so that i can still use those muscles when i'm older and otherwise would have lost that ability i guess this could apply to the other range of motion uh, options I have now and you know, keeping those going as I age. Yes, you old man, you. You very old, old man, you. Younger than you. <laughs> Number six, be stable on your feet. Can you imagine sitting on a chair with toothpicks for legs? You'd probably feel really unsafe, right? This is like your body when you dance. If your bottom half is weak and wobbly, then nothing above that can look controlled. It starts with keeping your balance. To do this, know how your weight should be distributed in each move. Read more about weight distribution here. Why staying laid on your feet is actually bad advice. Link. For example, if you have to lift your left foot up, then most of your weight should be on your right foot. Maintain a sturdy base the next time you dance, and you'll notice how much more controlled you feel. Control is something that is trainable. We hope these tips will help your body to create the movements that your mind wants. And there's a little follow-up thing. What do you do to dance with more control? Comment below and share with us. This last one again was, be stable on your feet. So there's a couple things that come to mind on this one. Uh, one of them being uh, the idea of where's your center balance. And an easy way to test that would be stand with your feet in, uh, you know, roughly about shoulder width apart, a little bit less, depending on your comfortable stance, um, which is roughly second position, and shift your weight to one foot, and then lift the other. If you wobble, your weight wasn't properly on the foot to be able to account for the lifting of the one foot. And all you have to do is hitch the knee up. It doesn't even have to come off the ground very far for you to feel. And this way you kind of learn 
where your weight should be as you're doing certain movements. Another thing would be um, standing with your feet together, leaning forward until you feel like you're going to fall and you have to take that step um, versus feet apart, you know, and having to take that step. There's a different feeling for each of those and knowing where that is allows you to make the educated choice as to how you're going to execute certain movements. Um, Another thing with that is also the idea of, I guess essentially that it ties in together with the idea of moving with purpose is how, how are you moving? Um, are you leading with your, your head or your chest or your knees or your feet or your center? If you're moving with your, with your center, then you have that control over your whole body as opposed to if it's just your feet, um, you're just isolating your feet. So it's going to be a different movement. Uh, one of the other things, um, which it was, um, John Kinzer mentioned to figure out if you're in a proper stance was say, go into fifth position and then rotate so that your feet should end up in second position. Um, if your feet start to slide out, you're out of your frame. So learning where your frame is, which is going to be where it's comfortable for you. Like I was saying how you know, feet roughly shoulder width apart versus maybe a little bit closer, a little bit further out, depending on how comfortable it is for you. Um, learning where that control is and figuring out, oh, you know, as I turn to the side, and I'm now in what should be second position and my feet are much further apart than they're supposed to be. And I feel like I'm, you know, like all my weight's off, then maybe I need to fix the fifth position a little bit tighter or a little bit closer or maybe a little bit further out or something to that extent. One of the things I remember from Taekwondo about balance was the idea of these little circles. There's a little circle that's like the crown of your head. There's a circle of where your hips are, and I think there might have also been a, a circle where your feet are, and you need to keep, I think it was two of those. I mean, ideally, you'll have all three of them aligned all the time, but if you have two of them, then you can still maintain your balance. Like, if you have your feet and your hips one on top of the other, but your head is kind of like peering over the side of a fountain or something to look at the coins, like that's okay because your other two circles are taken care of. Uh, If you have your head and your feet together, but your hips are doing like this hula hoop thing, well, that's fine too because you still have your head and your feet. And I guess the harder one is having your head and your, your hips one on top of the other and then your feet in a different alignment, but you can even still do that. If you're doing like a squat uh, or like trying to pretend you're sitting in a chair, but there's no chair underneath you, then you have your head above your hips and your feet are a little bit in front of you so that you're still maintaining that right angle. If you start throwing those off too much and you only have one of the three, then you're going to be all, all askew and akimbo 
because they won't be in agreement with each other. If you have all three going together, then you move like Roy Verdonk. And you can play, but from a solid base, like branches of a tree going crazy in a storm, but the tree still being a redwood. Like, that's him doing some of these, like, kind of sexy, tango-y style dances where he'll stop, and then he'll do a bunch of stuff with his hands, and then he'll stop. And, uh, you know, another one like that was uh, the video of him doing Trespassing with Daniel Trapat and others, or The Beast. There will be things that he can do that you wouldn't expect because he looks like he's barely moving. Like, he's just he's just kind of hanging out, standing in the middle of the floor, and then he busts out all this stuff. You're like, where did that come from? Who is this guy? And then he'll just go back to normal, undercover. Just Roy. Whatever. No big deal. So yeah, little circles. Remember your circles. Keep your circles above your other circles. This article is entitled Want to Dance with More Control? Read this. By Jesse Ma on steezy.co We still have about a half hour to go. We have a few different article options here. All linked from the main article that we were reading, and I think this one has come up at least twice now in two in both of the articles. Why stain light on your feet is actually bad advice. Also by Jesse Ma, February nineteenth, twenty seventeen, on Steezy.co. I'm curious about this because you dance on your toes, and I have been described as having springs in my legs. I don't so know if that means we're light on our feet, though. Let's find out more about why we're doing things wrong. (laughs) Dancers are often told to stay light on their feet. This advice is somewhat misleading because it gives the idea that you shouldn't put any force behind your movements. When you dance, you want to be able to rebound and shift your weight effortlessly. So it's not necessarily about staying light on your feet without any force. It's about manipulating your weight transfers to be able to move off that step in any way you want. What will make you look heavy or slow is keeping your weight on one or both feet for too long at a time. Think of your foot as pushing into the floor to power the next move rather than stepping and staying there. The more of a handle you have on controlling where your weight is, the more agile your movements will be with the added oomph power in your footwork. Another tip is to use specific parts of your foot when you step. Use your toes, heels, and even the edges of your feet in a way that best transitions you into the next step. If you plop down flat-footed, it'll be harder to roll through to the next move with the speed and control you want. You don't have to be light and airy all the time. When you want to be stable and grounded, then it helps to be flat-footed. But when you're moving around, you just have to know when and how to distribute your weight to make your traveling look effortless. Hope these tips helped your happy feet. What a short article. Why Staying late, Light on Your Feet is Actually Bad Advice by Jesse Ma on steezy.co. I like that, uh, that, that idea of using each step to push off to the next one as opposed to it being its own destination. Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about is the idea of walking and either doing toe-heel or heel-toe. Um, you're going to get a different feel. Um Whereas toe-heel almost has like a stopping moment, whereas heel-toe has that like, almost like a Velcro against the floor. Whereas you just kind of roll through it and then you slowly pull the Velcro back up. Um, It allows 
for maybe a little bit more fluidity than toe heel, toe heel. Um, I know that there's definitely different styles out there that call for, you know, rolling the foot um, from side to side versus, you know, front to back or back to front or whatever, depending on the way you're moving and executing into the next movement. Um, Another thing would be um, when you open your body up, it allows for that that fluidity of movement. Um, I know one of the things that we've mentioned before was uh, Darren and how he's very connected to the floor. He's very grounded, but he still moves so gracefully. And there's something to be said because that's a very controlled movement. It's a very purposeful step. And it's not necessarily that he's light or heavy on his feet. It is that happy medium that allows him to look connected and grounded while having that smooth as well. Oddly, I think when I have some of the most power or push off in my feet is when they're uncomfortable trying to stay in shoes that are too big for me because then I feel my feet muscles engaging just trying to crunch up and stay in the shoe as opposed to a more relaxed feeling I have of being in shoes that actually fit and then I'm more engaging my Legs. I'm not thinking about like the ball and the the outstep or whatever of my feet. Uh, I wonder if feet muscles are the sort of muscles like you know biceps where it's okay to contract them a lot because eventually your body will get used to it. Or is doing it too much just bad for you? Can you hurt yourself? I guess I'll find out. But not with these shoes that you bought me. Because they fit too nicely. Thank you for that. Here's another article from Steezy by Jesse Ma, published August 7th, 2016. I know anybody who's seen videos of me dancing on YouTube knows I need to learn how to dance bigger, stronger, and more, quote, full out. I apologize to everybody I've let down thus far. I will try to incorporate more energy. Megan's pointing to the screen. Strengthen up? All right, there's a little intro paragraph here. I'll read that before we hit strengthen up. Only dancers would know the difference between lowercase going off and uppercase G-O-I-N apostrophe capital A-W-F-A-W-F-F three exclamation points. Going off! Going off means you're dancing full the F- bunch of symbols out power facials energy everything you probably can name a few dancers who go off you're blown away by them every time they perform well we're here to tell you that you can train to dance bigger stronger and more full out too follow these nine tips to take your energy from zero to 100 strengthen up you don't necessarily have to get huge in order to dance huge. I see why Megan was tapping the screen. Size is not a determining factor in how powerfully you can execute. 
I mean, have you seen Sora Dance? I have no idea who Sora is. So I don't I probably either. haven't seen Sora Dance. What is necessary is strength. Work out to give yourself more power and control when you dance. Hashtag gains. Bruh. You don't dance big by being big. You dance big by being strong. So lift some weights. Do some push-ups. Hold some planks. And build your strength. Okay, two things. One... Yes, Megan and I have had many conversations about how my look is a little different than, say, Fred Whitehouse or Darren Bailey or Trevor Thornton or even Guyton because they all have muscle mass and I have me. And, <laughs> and then I think about Guillaume again, who dances with such control and grace and like power in there in his finer movements and... He is also on the slenderer side, as is, say, Roy Hidesabrodo. He definitely has muscle tone. Like, you can see the muscle tone in everything Roy does. Uh, and he looks very balanced overall as a person. Like, his, his mass fits his height and his width. And it looks natural for him. So I guess this is sort of an encouraging paragraph. You should just be strong, even if it doesn't show, even if it's not super obvious. Because then you're more like, you know, say an MMA fighter versus a bodybuilder. And you can do more and you have more options. One of the things that I start to think about a little bit is just arms alone. And the idea of, I guess several people have referred to them as fish arms, where they just kind of hang at the side of your body like dead fish kind of flopping around kind of thing versus when you contract your muscles in your arms, you can have very obvious movement. Um, You can have a grace, you can have purpose, you can have a strength, you can have um, a flow. And that all comes from having the muscle in the first place. It doesn't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger Because to me, that's one of those things where I would almost think that that would be harder to move in a waltz, say, um, being a bodybuilder, than someone who does not have the same muscle mass. Uh, But having the strength to hold out your arms and keep them, you know, straight or fluid is definitely something to work on and practice. Yes. Stretch it out. You can dance bigger by filling out each movement completely. This means using your body's full range of motion. Make this easier by stretching regularly. It's best to warm up your body with some cardio before you dance, then do a longer stretching routine afterwards. Being more flexible will set start and end points of your movements further apart, making your movements larger. Interesting. My pre-dance cardio is just more dance, but yeah. (laughs) Um, This actually makes me think of the private lesson with Roy that we had taken um, and how he had, you know, essentially us face each other. You walk backwards and me take a step forward and elongate my leg that was behind and slightly rotate my hips out so that it had a very long line and 
it was stretched behind me as opposed to like just underneath me. Um, that's one thing to, that I definitely need to work on. I know that for sure. That was one of the big things that I still haven't had a chance to really execute a whole lot, but that was something that kind of stuck out. And that's one of the reasons why, for instance, someone like Rachel or Joe, I think dances the way they do is because they know when to elongate their movement versus collapse their movements so that you get the contrast as well as just that elegance. Yeah. I noticed that with the, the privates and things that I'm practicing that I'm not used to, it almost tickles when I try to use a muscle that I haven't used before, like core things. It's almost like I'm not allowed to move with that much power because I'm not used to it. Like somebody's going to see that and be like, no, 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 you're supposed to just you know bounce around and fly off the walls. Like if you take that one powerful step forward, you're this completely different person. So I'm like so aware and alert if I'm just doing the movement into you instead of the empty step. Like it, it feels funny in my core (laughs) and also doing the walk forward with the hip turned out. I'm not used to engaging those muscles while I walk. So it's like you were saying, you question if you're even walking properly and then you wonder how you walk most of the time. Like when you're just on autopilot which muscles are contracting? Which ones are stretching? How long is your stride? Are you overwalking? Are you underwalking? All these things you you find are in your body that you didn't know were there. And you start, yeah, you just start overthinking like everything. But it's good. Eventually you do the right things and you don't have to think about them anymore. Practice. Like you're performing. Under pressure, this is a U.S. Navy quote, under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. That's why we train so hard. What the U.S. Navy is saying is, practice like you're performing. Once you get on stage, or even in groups, there is no magic dance god that takes over making you kill the piece. If you've been half at sign dollar, sign dollar sign, in it the whole time while learning. So, when you mark a piece, still maintain the execution that you want. The only reason you're not giving full power would be to pay more attention to something else, like watching the choreographer, listening to the music, or looking around to set formations. But if you're doing a run-through of the piece, take advantage of each chance you have to do it exactly how you want it to look. I'm definitely guilty, and I have been in the past few days when we've been powering through 30 dances in four days uh, of marking it on occasion. Especially at the end of the night when you're like, okay, I, kn- I know these three eight counts. Let's, I'm going to focus on this last eight count and the other ones I'm just kind of going to do, you know, just make them happen so that we can get to that eight count. Uh, I also like the saying, the more you, was, uh, the more you sweat in training the less you'll bleed in battle and uh, the other related saying is you fight the way you train Uh, I can definitely see how what we read earlier about using your muscles to like freeze that moment 
in time and like tell you how this step should feel because you'll remember that later is easier to do if you're actually flexing your muscles and you're just flopping around, faking it for a few walls until you get to the wall that matters because that's the one you're working on. You should be working on all of them all the time according to this tip here. Yes, and it definitely helps the person that you're training with or practicing with um, to keep up their particular accountability as well. Um, I know for me, I have a hard time even running through a dance if I'm not trying to actually dance it. Um I feel, I don't know, I, I don't want to give the impression, even if for, I normally absolutely love the dance, that even for one moment to someone who may be on looking, that I could not enjoy this dance. That, that to me doesn't seem right. Um, I feel like one of the things I've been working on too is while I'm, practicing a dance I've noticed uh, I can't remember which dance it was but it was one that I learned forever ago and it was before I started becoming really comfortable with myself as a dancer and I noticed while I was dancing it, I was looking down a lot and yet one of the newer dances that I was going over um, because I learned it at a stage in which I remember being told to, you know, like look up, be present, be smiling, engage. And I was dancing that particular dance. I was, I was looking up and I was smiling and I was having fun. And after a while I started thinking about like what the different presentations would be. And maybe it's because I practiced the first dance so much looking down that that became the second nature. Whereas the other one, because I was looking up and forward, you know, I was able to do the dance without looking at my feet kind of thing. Was it more dessert at Stoney's? Was that it? I don't remember, honestly. It's possible. Um, it's very possible. And so that's one of those things where you have to be careful because as you practice, you instill habits, so if you're not practicing the dance and you're just kind of like shuffling through it, you're not, you know, engaging the necessary muscles at the necessary time so that it almost reinforces bad behavior, so to say. Okay, two things also that came to mind. One, if you are planning on eventually doing the dance full out with, you know, full sleep and a full stomach and shoes that fit and all those other things that are nice uh, to do when you're really doing the dance at the ballroom, then you should probably dance that way too. I know that one of the things has, that's frustrated me recently in trying to do some of these dances, not wanting to waste my good dance shoes that do fit uh, when we're not in the nice ballroom on nice floors. So I've been using my old shoes that don't fit as well where I flop around and, and slide in them because the sides are splitting and that makes me less able, especially on floors that do not slide, it makes me less able to do things like three-quarter turns or a quick rock and behind and cross. And then I need, 
I feel like I need to do everything smaller. But that's not the way I eventually want to do the dance in the nice ballroom with the the shoes that fit. So I should really be practicing with the the nice shoes and just buy two pairs of them um, and just get rid of those other shoes because they're not helping me. If they're not helping me practice properly, then it's not going to help me do the final product, so to speak, properly. Also, if you are hungry, then you will be upset and not feel like you want to do the steps right. You don't have as much energy because maybe you also haven't slept. And then you got you have to ask yourself, like, is it better to conserve my energy and do a bunch of dances kind of halfway? Or should I do every rep, every wall of like these three very well in a way in a way that does look like it will later on in the final dance through of it? Um, and then burn out after three dances because you feel like you really danced the heck out of those three. Which is better? Like, which do you feel is more appropriate under the circumstances? Like, if you're doing like a team performance or something, if you're on a dance team, then maybe you just need to know all of the dances. But if it's, you're just dancing for enjoyment and to like make yourself a stronger dancer, then maybe you should just focus on a few and give yourself the permission to not know the other ones in time for the next event. Hmm. Use your core. It may surprise you, but movement starts from your core. Even if it's your arm or neck, it all comes from the tum-tums. With a Z at the end. For example, when you're reaching with your arm, you can extend that reach by reaching from the shoulder. And you can extend that reach by shifting your torso toward the direction of the reach. So if you want to dance bigger and more powerfully without looking sloppy, tighten your core. Not only will it make your movements bigger, but they will also be more strong because the base of your movement is so firmly rooted. Uh, For the most part, it's pretty self-explanatory, and we've talked several different times about using your core. And it is true, there is a difference um, between just reaching straight extending with your shoulder versus you know moving at your your core stomach muscles um you do get a different extension so to say um which would allow you also a bigger movement because you're taking up more room so that's that's certainly something to consider and it's just better for you too i would much rather use my stomach muscles then throw out my shoulder and it's the idea of like you know lifting with your knees and keeping your back straight not just bending over halfway and picking up it's use the whole body to help you yeah that idea of reaching from the shoulder makes me think about our demo for the choreography competition and how we have some arm movements in there. And I'll definitely be thinking about which muscles I'm using. Am I just focusing on my hands and what they're doing? Or am I using my whole arm? Or am I using my whole upper body? And is my lower body supporting what my upper body is doing? Is that going to affect the way that our arcing motions come across when we're using our hands? Don't flick the wrists. Spelled D-A wrists. All right. If you are dancing super big and strong, the effect can get lost by something really, really small, like limp wrists. This is a habit that a lot of dancers have. Their arms make clean pictures. Then it breaks right at the wrists. 
Ugh. To combat this, channel your energy all the way through your fingertips. This will ensure that your strength is being distributed in your whole arm without interruption. And this will make your movements look bigger and more complete. I like that you're uh, having fun with this blue light in the darkening uh, room (laughs) to emphasize what the uh, listeners cannot see. Um, And movements. It is true. I was actually just looking at, um, while you were reading that, the idea... um, Roy Verdonk had shown me the a certain way to like hold my hand and it looks completely different when my wrist is just bent versus when I'm like actively engaging it. It gives it a much longer, prettier movement. Um and I mean just in general, if you have your arm stretched out and your your hands down, it looks like a claw versus if you have it reaching out it extends it and gives it an elegance, which definitely can help when you're doing something like a waltz or something like that. Or for guys, keeping the fingers connected and part of the arm, you look like you're a manly man who can karate chop someone at a moment's notice. (laughs) Sure, that's what he was going for. Totally. Yes. Focus on focus. Your head and eyes are a part of the picture you're making with your body, too. Really important parts. Not only can it look awkward if you're constantly looking looking down or at the mirror, but it will also cut off your projection. And dancing big is all about projecting up and out. Lift your chin up, especially if you're performing for a bigger audience. And if the movements in a piece call for you to look in a certain direction, commit to it. This doesn't mean look with your eyeballs. It means look with your whole face. It will make the move look more natural, and it will help guide whoever's watching. If the audience looks at what you look at. If you're reaching to the right and looking right at your arm, their focus will follow yours instead of watching you from straight ahead and noticing a single arm sticking out. Some of the things that come to mind is there's a couple dances we've learned recently that tell you to, you know, your body's facing one way, but look the other way. Um, and it emphasizes a movement or a moment in the dance that certainly can help. Um, another thing certainly is the idea that if your focus and your point is at that dot across the room, that's where people are going to be looking at. Um, one of the things that I was given advice on was while I was trying to do a waltz, Uh, that I need to lift my head up more. And one of the ways to remember to practice that is if I'm in a big enough room, obviously, um, to look across whichever wall I'm facing, look to where the ceiling and the wall meet so that it practices me lifting up my head, which allows me to execute um, turning movements a little bit more uh, gracefully and a little bit more balanced because I'm not, cutting off any of the um the lines about you know like keeping your ear over your shoulder over your hip over your knee over your toe kind of thing um which allows you to stay in that center of balance two almost contradictory things that i think of with this one in taekwondo 
they would say to turn your head sharply before you do your next move. So if we're doing a form where you turn over your right shoulder and you do a down block and then step forward into a punch, but then you turn a quarter to your left and you do a down block, you don't just turn left and go into the down block because to mimic real life fighting, you have to look, see what's there, and then do what's the correct response or most appropriate response to the attacker's attack. So that can look very cool. Look first, spot, then do the thing. But in pro wrestling, there's an idea or a concept of telegraphing your next move. And things can look too planned if you are prepare, very obviously preparing to respond to the other person's movement. And since they're trying to put on the most realistic simulation of a fight that they can, that you know makes, tells a good story and makes a good show... Uh, they hide those things until the last second. And I think about that really that more in dance than the other because there are some movements that you don't want to give away too soon, especially if it's at the end of a hold. Let's say you're doing the the end of the tag in Whip It. You're doing that quick hand jive a little bit, and then at the end you hold up, and then you go down into the bounce. Make it bounce, bounce. If you look down... Before it says bounce, then it breaks the tension too soon. And you want to give the music and the step down the chance to break the tension. So that the step, the music, and your head are all going the same way at the same time and give it all a unified punch. If you look too soon, and this happens with other dances as well, then it can take away the impact of what would have been stronger as uh, as one big movement. Also, um, there was another thought that I had involving that. And if it comes to me, I will mention it. Number next. Number, number next. next. <laughs> Wear loose-fitting clothes. Although it has been consistently over 80 degrees in Los Angeles, you'll never see me dancing in a tank top. I prefer to dance in loose-fitting long sleeves. It's not because I enjoy sweating, but because it really does help create the illusion of bigger movement. Our fashion trends have evolved over the years. We went from Walmart sweats and giant cutout tees to compression pants, leggings, and sports bras. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it still feels so good to just put on a huge sweater or baggy sweats and go ham with all that extra fabric to add extra effect. Hip-hop. I think of your favorite pants. They're big, baggy, gray pants. You might have seen them on, online. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily specify in loose-fitting clothes so much as just something that you're comfortable in. Um, because when you're comfortable, then you're allowed to focus on other things as opposed to those you know, pants that are too big for you that you're always pulling up or the skirt that keeps riding up that you keep pulling down or the top that doesn't quite fit right and it gets in the way or anything like that. When you cut out those issues, you're able to really focus on the actual dance and how your body's connecting to it, not your clothing. Yes, I have uh, phased out a couple pairs of pants that I had that were way too tight. They were like stretch fit jeans and they left nothing to the imagination. And I felt too self-conscious to do dances full out because I I was constantly worrying about what was where. Uh, Also, I remembered the thing about the eyes. It it can seem unsafe if you don't turn first before you're about to do your move. That's just where you use your peripherals. If you know that nobody's to your right, then you don't have to look until you move to the right and start moving in that direction. 
Remember your dead limbs. When you're dancing, your entire body is dancing. What does that mean? If you're isolating one body part and the rest of your body is stationary, that doesn't mean you just forget about your unmoving parts of your body. For example, for a right arm iso move, I find myself putting all my strength into my right arm while my left arm just flippity flops all over the darn place. Dead and floppy limbs can distract people from what you actually want them to see. Instead of paying attention to select body parts, create a whole picture with your whole body, including the dead parts of it. This will make your movements look bigger and be more impactful. I feel like I covered that with the fish arms. Yep. Also, just to make a quick note that I've said before in other podcast episodes, uh, the Boot Boogie Babes use a focus finger, and that keeps their arm and hand engaged so that the one finger is pointing. They put all their focus into that finger, and not only does it keep that hand from going dead, but it keeps their face from looking all concerned because their tension is stored into the focus finger. Last tip on here, commit to your moves. Committing to your movements makes a huge difference in your performance. It makes everything more purposeful, effective, and entertaining. But commitment is hard without confidence. Killing a piece first requires for you to believe that you can. See related article, How to Dance with More Confidence. Put on your game face, crack your knuckles, give yourself a pep talk, and kill it. We hope this helped you get an edge on your full-out training grind. We can't wait to see you go, oh, in the next class. This was the article, How to Dance Bigger, Stronger, and More Full Out by Jesse Ma on steezy.co. And again, that last section here is commit to your moves. So a couple of things come to, to mind. That's where practicing with intent helps come in. Because if you're practicing as though it's a performance or just in general, you know, like a demo or something to that extent, then, you know, when you go to actually execute the dance, it's going to have that same look, if not better, because you've practiced that way so much. But kind of a little tip or trick is the idea of variations. And what I mean by that, and hence the kind of question mark sound to it, is the idea that there are several times in which for whatever reason, even if it's a dance, I know like the back of my hand, I will totally forget whatever sequence is coming up next and I will mess up. But if you make it look like it was on purpose and you meant to do it like that, that is when it can be considered by the audience a variation. Obviously, you know that it was a mess up and uh, you had to save yourself, per se. But and it's not necessarily something I, I I recommend as a crutch to not learning the dance for sure. But if you make that mess up look purposeful with confidence, the audience will never know the difference. All right, this has been Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barsulia coming at you live. From Florida Line Dance Classic. We thank you for tuning in this week as every week. We look forward to sharing new dances with you that we will be learning this weekend. Unless we're just doing open social dance. And then we look forward to resting on our laurels and doing the dances we've done a gajillion times. As well as uh, doing some of the ones that we learned in the last few days. So... 
should be a, a fun weekend getting to see all these people together. Joe and Rachel especially. Haven't seen them together since Windy City last year, I think. And me ever. Yeah. So we're going to get right on that and start preparing for open dance tonight. Until next time, Megan and I will see, see you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.